Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Who Am I This Time? with me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theatre about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one, I'll be trying to find out about their preparation, the excitement, and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. After several supporting roles in television, Ruth Madeley was nominated for a BAFTA for her performance in Don't Take My Baby, which told the story of a disabled couple's fight to prevent their baby from being taken away from them. Her career has seen her appear in The Rook, The Cleaner, and Russell T. Davis's stunning TV series, Years and Years. She's also appeared on stage at places like The Old Vic and The Donmar Warehouse. In 2019, Ruth signed an open letter urging Hollywood executives to normalize disability by casting disabled actors to play disabled characters. I caught up with her earlier this year to talk about her starring role as Barbara Lazitsky in Jack Thorne's BBC drama, Then Barbara Met Anne. Hello and welcome to the show. Uh, this week, my guest is Ruth Maidley, who uh, you might have seen recently in the wonderful drama, Then Barbara Met Alan, which I just thought was fantastic, Ruth. I, I really did. I thought it was brilliant. Now, tell us a little bit about it. Tell, tell me a little bit about the story for those of us who haven't seen it and a little bit about the character of Barbara as well. So Barbara and Alan were, uh, they were artists, they were creatives, they were cabaret performers, musicians, very, very creative people who were both disabled and they met and they fell in love and both set up the, where they co-founded the Direct Action Network or DAM. Mm -hmm. And that really was about disabled people getting together to fight for their civil rights because they, um, had no, disabled people had no rights in this country. And this was um, the 90s, was it? It was in the 90s, yeah. Mm. And basically their protests and disruption and civil disobedience led to the passing of the Disability Discrimination Act in 1995. So essentially then Barbara Met Allen is a love story, but it's also about the protests that happened and the toll that took on their relationship and their health as well. Yeah. And they had a baby, didn't they? They did, yeah, yeah. baby Yasha. Yeah, that was amazing. So it was a great. Show. I mean, were you aware of them? Were you aware of Dan before the show started? I I knew I, I knew bits. I was a I was a I was mm. a little dot when this was happening. So I was a kid that this was not um, anything in my kind of <laughs> my social awareness, I guess, and. I was very lucky to grow up as a young um a young teenager with the law behind me because of what they did um but I think naturally when when you're disabled and and you you just naturally start learning about things that that affect you so as I got older and you know social media and the internet and everything I I, I googled and watched clips on on youtube and things like that so i was aware of the protests um i was always very aware that the government didn't just say one day oh let's do something that gives disabled people equal rights i knew that that wasn't the case um so i knew it was it was something that had to be fought for mm. but i didn't know i didn't know about barbara and alan's love story i didn't really know much about um, the people of the Direct Action Network. So it, it, it was more 
I knew of it, but nothing specific. So as a project, when did, because I know you've worked with Jack Thorne before. Yeah. uh, And the wonderful Don't Take My Baby, which we'll talk about later. But Mm -hmm. did the project come to you via him or was it due to conversations that you and him had had together? Or because it was Genevieve Barr uh, Barr was also one of the writers, wasn't she? So there was the two of them. Were they, did they approach you early on? They did. Jack actually approached me early on. He, um, I think it was like the end of 2019 because we were meant to film this during the pandemic and obviously oh. the world started ending. Um, but it, well, yeah, so Jack came to me at say the end of 2019 and he'd been approached by Dragonfly production company to write this story for BBC. Um, and he said, I'll, I'll do it if you do it. And that was it. <laughs> Um, did you know there was a because did you know there was a love story at the heart of it at that point? Yeah, he told me about um he said there's a massive lead in this. Um and we we want to tell this story. He told me a little bit about the story in general. Um and he he told me it was a love story then. And then he said, um, there's two people I want. I want you and I want Genevieve. Mm-hmm. And if I get them, we'll do it. And um and and yeah, I was I was all in straight away. And so, what happens then? You Jack says, "Look, I want you." There's a story. There's no script. There's just him pitching it to you. Then, yeah. And so, what happens then? Does does he sort of go and write it? Do you say I'm into it or whatever? Are you involved in auditioning other people? Did you you know read with Arthur who plays? I, your I did Alan? read with him. Yeah, it was it was really great because Jack and Genevieve they they worked so well together there. They're just incredible, both of them. Individually, they're brilliant. And then you put them together and it's like magic. And they went away and and wrote, you know, the, you know what it's like, draft after draft after draft. Um, and I was sent some early drafts and just to have a read, have a chit-chat and see where where it was going. Um, it, was, it felt very collaborative in the sense of... Um, they really wanted to tell the story right. They really wanted to make sure I was comfortable, this, that, and the other. And then, yeah, then when we got to, when we finally, post, post-pandemic, post well, it's not really... We're not there yet. Yeah. No, we're not, yeah. But, but after we came out of lockdown, um, we were able to, uh, yeah, talk about casting. And, you and know... Did you meet Barbara, though? Did you meet Barbara before all this? I did. I met Barbara. Actually, I met I didn't meet Barbara until quite late on because um, Jack and Jen were working with her mm-hmm. and Alan to make sure they were happy with um, the story and what we were telling. So I met Barbara quite late on. It was probably around the same time as casting, actually. I'd say it was around the same time. And, and from, the, from the script, did you made assumptions about Barbara that when you met her changed? I'd watched <laughs> I'd watched lots of YouTube videos of her interviews and things like that and her performing. So I was um I was just really excited to meet her. And if I'm honest, she was everything that I thought she'd be <laughs> and more. She was just um she's she's a really intelligent woman and she's so ballsy and and you know you, you after five minutes of being with her, you could you could tell why she got done what she got done you know yeah. <laughs> and before p- p- portraying her mm. did you feel the way obviously there's a weight of responsibility but did you feel intimidated was she around a lot is the because you it's not an impersonation, is it? You have to interpret the character inside there as well, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I didn't want the last thing I wanted to be was like a caricature of her. Mm. I wanted it to be a really strong portrayal of of, of her, and a different because this is we flip back in time as well, so it mm. comes from past to present. So um, there was a lot of showing her at different stages of her life as well. So. Um, I wanted to make sure I, I watched her mannerisms. I thought that was really important, and also just how she speaks about things, how she talks about certain points in her life, how she talks about certain people in her life. So, but I was really—it's the first time I've ever played a person who um, was involved in the whole process and who would be um, around to see. It. Yeah, what was that like? I mean. absolutely terrifying I did feel such a weight of responsibility um and I guess because of the subject matter being so 
it per personal it meant it meant so yeah. much it's, to, so. it's important to say it's groundbreaking television this i mean it really yeah. is you know it's this and we'll talk about this later as well as you know we've not seen characters like this portrayed on television before in my experience i don't think yeah. so so it is you must have felt that responsibility yeah. but also that must have been really exciting as well it was so exciting it was i mean i I'm constantly frightened in my job, and I feel that that drives me. me. me <laughs> I'm always nervous, and I think this just felt like a really, really um, important challenge. Uh, but more than that, as terrified as I was, it was such an honour to be trusted with something like that, mm. and um, and to have her trust me as well, because she could have quite easily turned around and say, "Who on earth is this? Where have you got her from?" And she didn't, thank God. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was really, really nerve wracking and incredibly. Um, it was a real humbling experience as well. Very, very humbling. She Barbara wasn't uh, around until like the end. Of but she's filming. in it as well as there's a great scene between yeah. the two of you on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. So I, as soon as I read that in the in the drafts, I was like, oh my goodness, that was mm -hmm. that was such a. A special day on set, it really was. I mean, there's obvious things, and, and I know you've thanked people in, uh, on your social media, but I think just things like accent, you know, she she doesn't have your accent, so you're working on that. And what what else are you working on to find her? There's a, she has a very specific energy to her, very not just an accent, but she has this delivery that is really quite... Uh, sharp. It's not, it's really not an attack, sharp. but it's sharp, isn't it? Yeah, she's really... really And how did you find that? You know something? It was, um, I mean, the writing was so incredible. You get so much from Jack and Jen's words and um, and bouncing off Arthur, who is incredible. Yes. It, I think, again, I, I, I found it very helpful to watch. Every morning on the way to set, I would listen to something, whatever, on YouTube of Barbara talking. And I found that that really helped to just have her in your head. But I really think that the, the dialogue and everything that Jack and Jen gave us, it mm. really helped with that. And I, I think it did it did help me to know. It really helped me to know. Because the first thing she said to me was, you're not using the accent, are you? And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's what I need to keep in my head. That's the yeah. kind of thing she'd say. And, and because that's important to her. And I think that's, you know, you are honouring that person, I guess. Absolutely, and I, I wouldn't have wanted to do it. We just wouldn't have been, especially at the end, it wouldn't have been the same if I'd not done the accent. But, I mean, I'll admit, I, accents are not something that come easily to me. I really have to work at them. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, but, but that helped as well. That really helped. But that's also, I think, you know, you do all that work before you get to the set. You have to do so much work yeah, so that when you so get to the set, you're free of that. At months, months before, months before we were, I was working on the accent and yeah, my, my acting, my, sorry, my dialect coach, Martin McClellan, he's fantastic. He's, mm. he's, and he really, a dialect and accent fascinates me because it's not, it completely changes the way your tongue placement, the way you breathe, like mm. Barbara's words are really heavy, whereas I'm up here and really excited and she just isn't. Yeah. So, so that's what that that in a way that's a, an any where we place our energy, isn't it? There's a, there's an, there's a different energy. I used to have for certain characters, I would like have a tick list just before I would get onto the set to go. Remember his energy is more here. Remember that his voice is that. Remember that you know just to keep myself in that in that placement. Really. Very much. And then as well, I had massive help from our directors who I'm just obsessed with both of them Bruce Goodison and Amit Sharma because yeah. because we were flipping from different times throughout the film um we'd we'd have a chit chat about where she was um emotionally at this point uh, was she angry was she quite sad because that affects like your breathing and how heavy your words sit in your chest and things like that so it it was it was a very collaborative thing and yeah it well, it definitely wasn't me just rocking up as Barbara every single day and going home. It was very much a collaborative thing, very much. Now, your your background is creative writing. I mean, you sort of became an actress accidentally. Did you? Did you? Complete accident, David. Yeah. <laughs> accident. So you, I know you went to 
Edge Hill and uh, University, which is a place I love and know very well. But you did creative writing there, didn't you? Yeah. So do you use that when now as your would you when you're doing something like then Barbara met Alan? Would you write a Bible to not not interfere with Jack and Jen's script in any way? But would you have a Bible to the side of that of your own story or where she is at any one time or anything like that? I scribble all over my scripts. So at uni, I did, I did um, creative writing, but I, my major was script writing. Mm-hmm. So that was I. I I learned how scripts are, you know, constructed, how characters are built, how important dialogue is and when it's important to use it and when it's not. So when I get a script, I scribble all over it, my own kind of notes on um, emotion, why why she, why characters make certain choices. And I definitely feel my, my knowledge of script and the writing process, I definitely feel it helps with my acting mm-hmm. um, because it just feels a little bit more 3D, I guess. Do you use I'm... backstory? Would you write backstory like for Anna in Don't Take My Baby? Would you write backstory for people? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. For, not, maybe not for the whole thing, maybe at certain points where I feel like it's really helpful. Um, and again, with Barbara, when it was when we're flipping between different times, like all the bits at the at the bus stop where she is just her talking, I'd write a lot about where she was there because so much has happened to get her to that point yeah. that you have to kind of remember and don't forget those those all those bus stop scenes were pretty much shot in one day, so you have to get quite a lot of like emotion and where your head is at in one in one day of shooting. And also, they'll be they'll be filmed all over the place. Or they they we film out a order sequence all the at all. So writing, um, you know, little chunks of things that really help me figure out where she is, placement wise in the story, I, I found really helpful. And from an accent point of view, would you, do you use any sort of tapes or anything like that? Do you do, would you record Barbara or record your sessions with the accent coach and play them back to you at all? I would I would listen to again for for going to set every day I would listen to her um I would make I remember Bruce one of our um one of our directors said to me every time you step on set I don't want to hear your accent I don't basically I don't, I don't want to hear your accent until we've finished the entire shoot Great. so and that really helped because you were you were because I do breathing exercises every morning mm-hmm. and weirdly tongue exercises so because fascinating things so my tongue is really flat because i'm northern and the tongue placement for a london accent is like further back my tongue would kill me at the end of the day because it would just constantly sat in a different space it's a proper science it fascinates me no it's like an but it's like being an athlete i i I think of it as an athlete one of our podcasts this season is i've interviewed three people one is a stunt coordinator who I work with. One is an accent coach who I've worked with. And the other one is an intimacy coach. And we've done a podcast about all three disciplines. And I do think there's, you know, being an actor, it's like that sort of being an athlete that you, you, my tongue, like your tongue is a Northern tongue. It's, it's used to, it has a default setting. It goes, it wants to be there. I have to work really hard for for ages before I started up to get Different muscles that I've never used to make sounds. I'd that say, I've my never... jaw, like, I'd come up, I'd be like, oh, my God. Yeah. it's so sore. But um, I just found it if I was keeping it up the whole day, if I was having conversations like in the makeup chair when you're having your breakfast, when you're having lunch, if you're having those conversations back in your, you know, natural accent, it would be harder to get back into what you're meant to be in for the for the shoot. And some, I mean, it's important to say at this point that some people can do that. I mean, I've worked with people who can just jump in and out of accents all the time. It's so I'm annoying. Not... I can't see it really for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm not, there's some accents I can do that with, but other accents I need to work in and I need to have. Yeah, I my... like that. If there's, if there's, if there's like a few that I can do for absolutely fine and I know I can just go back to it. But yeah, some of them. And, and because Barbara has a really specific, it's a very specific type of London as well. Mm. That, um, yeah, I had to work at it, but it, I found actually, that actually really helped with building her character anyway. Yeah. You know, really for months, just get finding her voice in me. And what, when you talked about the directors, I mean, what, what, 
do you feel that you need from a director to create the space for you to be brave in and to be open and vulnerable and all the things we need to be? What are you looking at from a director to create that space? I, you know, just a conversation. I think that's a big thing. Just just open conversation about understanding, both understanding where the character is, both understanding what you want to get out of the scene. Um, I really enjoy, like, if I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I will always say, give me another one, because I think I can do it better. But I've really learned that if the director, if we've done a few and the director says they're happy, then I have to learn to be like, right, okay, right, leave it. They're, they're happy. They've got what they want. Um, but I really like it as well when you know that they've got what they want and they just kind of let you, the freedom as well, the freedom to play and and try something a bit different. Um, because you can find some magic in that as well. But I, I love I love working with directors and Bruce and Amit were just the most incredible team on this job. They were so good. You had, you know, Bruce with his his real, you know, vision, technicality. The, everything was just so spot on. And then Amit, who was very much the one to, you know, bring you to the side and really talk to you about why they're saying certain things, why we're um, at this point in the script. And, and he'd make you question your um, what you thought about where you were, and I quite like that challenge to to figure out between you what you want to get out of the scene. Well, what I love about that is you know that someone is seeing you. That, you know that that they're. I mean, I've worked with directors who you think this person isn't even looking at me. You know, that's I'm the, I'm the lead. conversation. I know that we're we're working on the same thing, not someone's falling asleep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really. You know, one of the other things we're talking about the, the other podcast we're doing, you know, with an intimacy coach, mm. there is a there's a wonderful scene with you and Arthur Hughes, who plays Alan, yeah. uh, which is which is a wonderful sort of tragic love scene because it, really it is. sort of is so sad. It's really heartbreaking because you feel mm. that these people are breaking up really, yeah. you know, at the point. Yeah. And also in uh, Don't Take My Baby, there's a wonderful uh, scene with your other co-star, Adam Long, where, you know, you're in a bath with your baby and stuff like that. Again, there's a vulnerability we have to go through there. Did you have intimacy coaches or was that something that they do as a dialogue that you and the other actors and the directors would have together? Then Barbara McAllen was the first time I'd worked with an intimacy coordinator and I loved it. It was like the most incredible. She, she, Lucy, who came on on set, she was, and and her uh, her um, her colleague Adelaide, they were both just incredible. The whole process, I found, um, so helpful, really helpful. And I just felt the work that we did, and the same with Amit and Bruce. We were all very much a team. Arthur, Amit, Bruce, myself. And and Adelaide and then Lucy when she came on set, it was very much a um, a collaborative. We have to get this scene right, and when you watch it back with the the work that we did shows, you know what mm. I mean. Mm. And what type of things would she be doing? I mean, is it a is it just a case of her checking in with you, or would she also talk to the crew and sort of find a sensitivity around them as well about? What closed set or whatever that yeah, was. Yeah, we had closed set. So basically, um, the only people who should be there were we, we had um, we had sound already set up in the room, so we didn't need um, you know a beam or anything in there. We had uh, Susie, our fantastic DOP. She she was obviously had to be there, script supervisor, and then um, our two directors, and that was it. There was no one else. So. Um, when we, we talked about all of this beforehand, all of this, this wasn't just a kind of turn up to set and then hope that there's going to be a closed set. It was all very much set up beforehand. Uh, we knew exactly what was going to happen, who was going to be in the room or watching on screen and who wasn't. Mm. And, and it was really interesting to talk about that scene because because it is so. It's not just a sex scene. It's really sad. This no, is but also so it's got loads and loads of story in it. I mean, whenever those scenes come up, if, even, if, you know, not just intimacy scenes like that, but it's fights, any scene really. Yeah. What I'm looking at is what is the story of this scene? And obviously certain scenes, if they're a fight scene or an intimate yeah. scene, there's an added 
difficulty to them sometimes, but it is always about why is it here, what to tell me. And there's so much story in the scene that you did. There's so that. much, and it's it's so loaded. There's 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 like there's so much emotion of 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 where I mean, no spoilers, but obviously they've they've had you know a tragedy happen. They've they're, they're at a really um, low point in their relationship. There's so much that has come to this. Physically, mm. they're not great. You know, they've been on protest. They've got, uh, you know, they're, they're looking after the baby. So there's just so much to it mm. that um, it's not just about sex. And, and, and the work that we did beforehand was really making sure we got that story across. And and also making sure we were both comfortable with um, with the nature of the... the it, they say it's like a dance, don't they? It's, it's properly yeah. choreographed, which is... It's it's like like a fight scene. Everything's mm-hmm. choreographed. Um, and then once we knew all of that was in place, it's then about us being free in that moment to do what felt right. And, um, I mean, Arthur and I, were, I couldn't have wished for a better co-star. I just think he's incredible. So we, we were both really really determined to get that scene right. And as well, that disabled actors, disabled people, we don't get those scenes on screen. No. We're, ne- we're never we're never given the opportunity to show our bodies in different ways. And so we, we felt that extra weight of responsibility as well, that we wanted to do it really beautifully. We'll be back with more chat after this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. But also what's great is that that responsibility, and I mean this in the best uh, sense, is it doesn't come across on screen. You don't feel that these these are actors with for acting their responsibility for doing the no, role. They're just they're just telling the story, and that's what's wonderful about it. You yeah. know? And and that's true of um Don't Take My Baby as well, I think. Yeah. I mean, we said before about you being an accidental actress. <laughs> you, were, you wanted to be a screenwriter. So you wanted to be in the creative industry, didn't you? But that's not from that's not from family, is it? You didn't have that in your family. No, not at all. My, no, not at all. I always knew that. Um, I just knew that there wasn't anybody like me on TV growing up. I never saw myself, ever. Mm-hmm. And I always, I, at the heart, I'm a storyteller. That's, that's what I am. And I knew that, I'd always loved writing since since I was tiny. I, I used to love writing stories and, you know, making up characters and all of that stuff. So I always knew that I wanted to be part of a drive to increase disability representation. And I always knew that I loved storytelling. So it just naturally felt that that would be something that I would do, I guess, mm. in the industry. But I never, n- never in front of camera. It was mm. never... Um, that was never planned. <laughs> so how did that happen? It was a CBBC show, was it? Well, how did that happen? Oh, uh, yeah, it was hysterical. I was doing um, a work placement at BBC. Because, um, again, from, you know, going to uni, I wanted just a little bit more experience of how scripts are prepared, how they're chosen, you know, for, for, for commission, all of that stuff. So I was just doing a bit of work experience and a producer that I'd met along the way said that they were looking for a wheelchair user for a CBBC drama, just a one episode. And they just were kind of like, well, you're here. You might as well go. And I was, I, I, literally, I literally just went to be nosy. I, <laughs> I genuinely thought, oh, this is fun. I'll meet another, di- I'll meet a director. I'll meet a producer. I'll see how things get cast. I can ask questions. So I genuinely, I didn't really think it through at all. <laughs> I literally went down the corridor and um and went purely to be nosy and a bit of you know for completely selfish reasons thinking well this is a fantastic networking opportunity <laughs> and uh i but i remember being 
going into the room, I've been outside the room and seeing these other actresses. And I was like, and, and I started feeling really nervous and I had absolutely no expectation whatsoever. And I remember thinking, why? Why do these people put themselves through this? Actors are strange, a breed of people. Why do you do this to yourself? And then, yeah, got in there, had a chit chat, which was really nice with, with the producer and the director. And it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was just a really weird experience. And I remember a bit of adrenaline hitting me. And when I came out, I thought, I, I want to do that again. Right. And I got the job. Now, now I got the job. So either there was really, really bad people going for that job or <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd pulled it out the bag in a, in a spectacular fashion. But I'm sure it's I, that one. I'm sure it's the latter. But I, I turned up on set and that, that, I think that's when I fell in love with it. I loved being on set oh, and I was too. fascinated by how many people are on a set and how many people it takes to make a programme. Mm. And that just completely blew me away. And I was, I was, I always say I'm a bit like a sponge on set. I want to know everybody's job and I want to know how everyone's doing and, um, I think that's really important. I think it's very, uh, I remember my first times on set, I was really inquisitive about what everybody did. I wanted to yeah, know what exactly. everybody did. And not because, you know, I was, I just, I was just fascinated by the process. You know? Me too. That, and that's what it, it was. It was complete fascination on my part. And I, I, um, I have, I, I haven't lost that. No. And I love the team aspect of it as well. My I love God, it. Me too. And I think that's what I fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Not being in front of the camera, I think it was the team aspect of, um, from the second you picked up by your unit driver to going in the makeup chair, although every process was a real team thing, and and yeah, that was that was my very first taste of it. Unless we count my, you know, your Mary, my, my primary school Mary. Well, that's well talked about your nativity, Mary. I have to say, oh, I was going. I thought we could have done a whole show on that actually, but uh, we need. I to mean, you, you could make an entire show of it. It was a spectacular performance. <laughs> but you know, let's get on to "Don't Take My Baby" because a, a yeah. BAFTA-winning show, mm. uh, very different, obviously a very different tone. Very really, again, written by Jack Thorne. Yeah, about uh, a couple who have a baby and then are monitored by social services. Aren't yeah. They? I mean, what what sort of when that came along to you that your your audition process for that was quite a long one, wasn't it? That went on for a while. It was it was it was hideous. It was <laughs> awful. Um, yeah, I, I, I after I did the CBBC thing, um, and I had a, I did like a bit part in Fresh Meat with Jack Whitehall, but after that, I didn't really do anything. I didn't really seek out like acting because I still didn't really see that as a career option I thought it would be just something I'd do on the side and then um the agent I, I was with at the time had uh, this script fall on her desk and it was don't take my baby and I remember saying if you get this everything changes and as soon as I read it I was um I mean I knew Jack Thorne was a giant yeah in his career and then and and as soon as I read his words I was like I have to play this character. I was like, this is, I, I, I have to. There was, there was no other option. Mm-hmm. And I went for the audition. And don't forget, I didn't train. I had no lead actress experience apart from Mary. And <laughs> um, so they did, they really had no, nothing to back up my audition. So they didn't know that I could handle a lead in something that was really quite harrowing and hard hitting and emotionally, you know, mm. taxing all of that stuff. So it wasn't, I wasn't an easy sell. Really. And it was a really long audition process because they had to make sure that they could. And it was for all the, but it was for all the actors, wasn't it? I mean, didn't. Yeah. It yeah. Oh, it was a really long. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the, 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 there was, it was a really small cast, so mm. the the chemistry and everything had to be, you know, just right for, for, for to tell the story. Because that was based on a real couple. Um, we weren't playing particular characters, but the story was based on a real couple and their real story. And uh, yeah, I'll never I'll never forget when I got. Didn't you, didn't you have to come down to Rada at one point to do a whole workshop? What was that? What happened there? 
It was the most bizarre thing I've ever done in my life. And I remember So thinking, you have been to RADA. You can say that, Ruth. Yeah, I can. I, I've, I'm going to put it's on my spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> Went to RADA one day. Um, but it, yeah, it's it was... Yeah, it was weird because we were doing workshops with other actors who were going for the same role, which is like terrifying in itself. And it was really kind of looking at chemistry, um, you know, pairing up with different actors, seeing how different people look in different. And were you, um, doing, were you doing improvisations or were you reading bits of scene or? Both. We did both. Um, you know what? It's kind of a bit of a blur, a bit of a, of a, <laughs> a bit of a nightmare really. <laughs> but no, it was, uh, but it was, that was the first time I met Jack in person and, um, and Ben Anthony, our, our, our director. And I, uh, I just loved getting to know them, you know, make friends with the director first thing foremost. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it was a really bizarre, wonderful experience. And uh, yeah, I remember I remember it. It was it was just so bizarre. But I still didn't hear for about a month after that mm. because there was like going down for different chemistry reads with different um, people. And yeah, yeah, the week before Christmas, I finally got the call to say, yeah, you. We want to book you, and I was like, "Oh, thank!" God. I don't know what I would have done if, at the end of that if they'd said no. I don't think I would have acted again. I think right. we would have been like, "This is not for me. This process is torture." <laughs> it's it's a brilliant piece, and you know, again, a bit like uh, then Barbara met Alan. It's something that you know. His groundbreaking telly and was recognised as such at the BAFTAs. Yeah, I mean, that was that was incredible to, to be to be nominated and then have the the. And you were nominated as best actress as well. I mean, that I must mean, have been so wild. It, ridiculous, David. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Complete madness to be to have disability put at the top of the the top of the pile, BAFTA. You know, and then to win and to. See Jack and and Peter and and Ben on the stage talking about the importance of these stories. That 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 did nothing but give me fire mm. to tell more stories and carry on with increasing disability representation on as big scale as possible. But that that piece particular, I mean, both pieces have very very as we've spoken about harrowing and upsetting moments. Yeah. But that piece, you know, for you as, as a relatively inexperienced actress on that, would you yeah. sort of, would you do things like, would you watch yourself on the monitor at all or would you just trust Ben, the director, or what? And ben, ben told me to watch. Now, now I'm not going to lie to you, watching myself back, there is literally nothing more hideous that I feel. Um, but he was right. It helps. Okay. In what as way? I Because I remember him saying to me, come on, watch this, come on, watch this. And I'd be like, are you are you asking me if I want to, or are you telling me to come and watch it? And he'd be like, no, I want you to come watch this. And when he explained, I need to tweet this or do this, I was like, I see what you mean. And then it, so it def it definitely helped. It is a baptism of fire, isn't it? When you but it was really a baptism of fire. It was thrown in at the deepest end you could possibly go in, because um, there was everything in it. There was there was you know, I was playing. A disability that wasn't my disability, so I was I wasn't in my own wheelchair, which mm. feels alien enough as it is. Yeah. Um, my character didn't have good um, usage of her arms; she didn't have great muscle in her arms. And when you're holding somebody else's baby whilst looking like you don't have strong muscles in your arms, that's a whole other level of terror. <laughs> um, there was there was nudity in it. There was um, a love story in it. There was lots of you know, crying. Um, but tell me about working with the baby because you know I've done I've done dramas that need newborns and stuff. And yeah, it's, it's a very odd sort of delicate time, though, isn't it? Because their own parents are there, obviously, or chaperones or whatever. But that that thing of it fascinates me: a baby being handed over to you and you having to play someone with weak arms. I, I, honestly, I've never been more terrified in my life. It was. Um, on Don't Take My Baby, we had six babies. We had two sets of twins, a six-month-old, and then... No, we didn't. We had five babies. Mm -hmm. We had two sets of twins, and then um, 
than than a six month old. So we had uh, we had a lot of babies to work with, but the 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 first set of twins, they were like weeks old yeah. and they were like tiny. And it was just like, and this, this woman who's obviously their mother, she gave birth like six weeks ago or something crazy. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, it was just, it was, it was such a massive weight of responsibility, but I was, um, but yeah, the, the, the team couldn't have been more helpful. So they made sure, um, I had like cushions to, to, mm. so the baby was fully supported um, I'm literally holding my arm as rigid as possible to hold this child without, and then keeping my arm flopped. So it looked oh, like right. I didn't have great muscle tone, but I'm holding this child with literally every bit of muscle I have. It look, I mean, great experience. I mean, if you can work with kids, you can work with anything. Right? But when you're doing a job like that, do you take yeah. it home with you? Or is it something that you carry with you? I mean, cause it's so... Yeah, I mean, you know, I, mean, I cried buckets while watching it. But just... yeah, it was really that the whole thing came from um, the whole story came about from an article around the statistics of how many disabled parents are. Um, it says ele- it says eleven thousand at the end. Eleven thousand a year mm-hmm. uh, are investigated to see if they're deemed capable or fit mm-hmm. enough to to look after their children and. You know, I'm not a mom, but and and I can remember thinking, God, if I start a family one day, am I going to have social services knocking at my door for no other reason than I'm disabled? Yeah. And that was very. I mean, Jack has got such an incredible way with words that he makes you feel everything. Mm. And it's, it is it is really hard to switch off. And as that was my first lead and my my real first proper acting job in the sense of feeling every emotion it was it was something that i had to learn how to switch off mm. and um because your your partner isn't an actor is is he and and like your no. mom, your, mom and your parents don't come from acting no, just but, me. Just, so just me. <laughs> is it difficult to express or articulate what you're going through to them i mean when you're at the end of the day at all or do they are they very open to all that they're pretty good you know um <laughs> I think Joe, God love him, my, my my boyfriend. He just, if especially with at the end of then Barbara met Alan, that was hard. That was hard graft, like more so than anything else. And I feeling all there was so much that was like such a weight of responsibility, everything, and it was really exhausting. Um, and he, yeah, he just kind of knew that. If I needed to cry when I came on, I cried. You said yeah. once about you were doing a monologue called The Greatest Wealth at the Old Vic. Yeah. And that's when you came off and went, oh, this is it. I'd never done theatre, so that was my first experience. So mm. I was working with Adrian Lester on um, a show, an American show called The Rook, and he came up to me at our second block, you know, take read-through. And he said, and I knew he was doing, I knew he, him and Lolita, his wife, yeah. Adrian, was um, was directing it. And I knew about it. I knew what he was doing. And I saw him come over and I'm thinking, don't you dare ask me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and he came over and he's like, and I'm like, no, no. He was like, I've sent your agent this uh, this thing. Have have a look, see what you think. And, and they're like, they were like 20, 15, 20 minute monologues, these things. And I remember... Him telling me who else was doing them, like we had Art Mallet, we had David Twelfth, you know, Mira Sayal, these these like powerhouses, absolute powerhouses. And um, I didn't even read the monologue. I just said at that time, I said, yeah, I'll do it because I knew if I thought about it, if I slept on it, I'd chicken out. And once I've committed, that's that's it for me then, once I've committed. And I remember I I, I thought I was going to throw up before I went on it, like the old Vic, the old Vic, yeah. <laughs> like a full full theatre and and this this stage. And again, I wasn't in my chair, my own chair for that. And trying to remember twenty minutes worth of writing in your head, I was like, this is this is terror on a whole new level. I've never really understood actors who 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 live for theatre. I because that's never been my experience. I've always, whatever I've done has been screen work. But when I came off, when I, when I remembered my entire monologue, which was great for a start, and then I, ca- I came off that feeling, that instant feeling of response. When I stepped off, I was hit with the, the, the literally the biggest high ever. And I was like, I get it. 
I get why actors want to do theatre. I understand it. And that was my first experience of feeling like that. Definitely. And then you did a play called Teenage Dick, didn't you, at yeah. uh, the Dunmore? Yeah. Tell me about that experience. Having had the experience of the monologue, now you're in a play which is sort of loosely based on Richard III, isn't it? Sort of yeah, like- I, I mean, I, I loved the the whole thing. I thought it would be... I, I, I met Daniel Monks mm-hmm. and I completely fell in love with him. And for me, it was like, if I get to work with him for three months, then I'm very happy. And doing um, American accent for three months, which is where I met my my dialogue coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the whole process was fascinating to me. It was that that was my first experience of re- of really understanding Tet Week and then um, Press Night. All of that was completely new to me. Um, and doing the same story again and again every night. I mean, th- that's a different discipline, isn't it? Really, I, I just remember thinking, how on earth am I going to keep this fresh? How am I not going to get a bit stale with what I'm saying? And it was it was a really interesting experience to learn that your audience is different every night. Mm, <laughs> and um, some things they'll laugh at, and then the next night they won't laugh at all, and then they will make you jump by laughing in a completely different place. And it was, yeah, it was it was a really... It was. I found it challenging physically. I found it challenging. I'm not going to lie. From a disabled acting perspective, I did find find it exhausting on a different level. Um, how, how, how do you look after yourself then? Do you are you able to sort of pace yourself in a different way in your day or anything? Like I had that? to. Yeah, I really had to learn that. And you know, what? I had to move to London for for, for the whole shoot uh, for the shoot for the whole play. Sorry. Um, and, you know, this very northern girl <laughs> didn't find that easy, I'll admit, because for me, London, I find London really inaccessible still. Mm. And it's hard. That physically is hard in itself. Just but, simply transport or any other sort of... Just buildings and um, some of the streets are still really, like... Um, Uneven and, and cobbly, like especially especially right. where the Donmar is. It's right by the Donmar, yeah. <laughs> of course, God. But um, so for physically, it was quite demanding of me. Um, so I, I had to learn very quickly that, you know, I had to look after myself during the day. They couldn't if I was if I was yeah. if I was on a stage that night. Because we don't feel we had matinees as well, but if I was on stage that night, then I'd be doing nothing during the day apart from resting as much as possible. And uh, it's—I mean, I don't um, think you can describe that to people until they've done it. About what? No, and I—I I, I didn't appreciate it until I'd done it at all. I thought oh, I'll be all right. Yeah, it's only two hours. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> it's like oh, I'll be all right. It's fine. I've got this whole day to myself. Free? No, you don't. You, <laughs> you don't. really don't. Mm. And um, but no, it, I think. I, I really enjoyed the whole process of, you know, the rehearsal period beforehand would really build up this, like, family feel. Again, yeah. same as being on set, that real team um, feeling. And and that that was something that I will cherish forever, that that family that I made there were, were, were brilliant. I mean, you've worked with great writers. I mean, we mentioned Jack and Jen and stuff, but, I mean, you've worked with Russell T. Davis on years, years and Who's years. That? Sure <laughs> is this young up and coming person we might have to yeah, keep an eye on at the start of his career <laughs> <laughs> but years and years uh you know and it's in the title and it? it goes over 15 years yeah so yeah. again as a creative writer or you know screenwriter yourself are you filling in the gaps there for rosie your character are you sort of looking at where, how she's grow, growing in those yeah definitely times? filling in the gaps especially with how relate because the whole thing was based on relationships and things mm-hmm. so it was looking at how where how her relationships have, have evolved, changed. Um, how she she's a bit she was a bit wild, was Rosie. She was so scatty and a bit all over the place. So there was there was she and she was a very emotional person. So mm. there was quite a lot to play with there, and um, and also think about physically how it, it has a disability changed, has it deteriorated, has it stayed as it was, and and 
so, so there was there was so much to play with there. One of the greatest experiences ever. I always say that about every job. One of the greatest experiences ever. <laughs> Until the next one. There was a long period between uh, Don't Take My Baby and Years and Years Next Year. Was there ever a point when you thought, you know, I'm going to give up? Or was there ever a point where you thought this isn't going to happen? No, I actually felt very... Um, I was working on... on the Rook, that with Adrian Lester, I did um I did a ITV show called The Level. I did oh, I did the great as well. So there were things happening. Did I feel that it was something that I could do sustainably as my career? Because you had a job in between, didn't you? I mean, I just read a story where you went to your line manager and said something like, Oh, I'm gonna need some time off because I've got this job years years and years. And she said, you know what, Ruth? I think you're an actress now. Well, no, she. What happened was, I I worked. I stopped working for WizKids, the children's charity, and I've been involved with them my entire life. They they bought me my first wheelchair when I was five years old. So, I've always been involved with them. And then I, I worked as an employee for a long time, and I took a sabbatical when I got years and years. I just said, just keep my job open. Don't pay me for six months. Let me go and do this. Because every other job I've worked weekends, I've done evenings, you know, just to kind of keep both because I never thought it was sustainable to mm-hmm. kind of just give up a job that uh, I had a paycheck every month. Reli- <laughs> reliability and all of that. Well, I didn't think that acting was something that I could pay my mortgage off, I guess, mm-hmm. if, you know, in the long run. And then when I finished years and years, I got another role, not not massive, but it was um, another role in Jack Thorne's The Accident. Mm-hmm. on Channel 4, I, I went to my manager then. I said, I just need to extend my sabbatical for a bit. Uh, just just give me another another month or two just to go and do this. And that's when she said to me, she went, Ruth, I think, I think you're an actor now. And I just was like, oh, good God. <laughs> what, what have I done? And, but at the same time, I, I'm very much a believer that you end up where you're meant to end up. And it, that was the right time. That one thousand percent was the right time to go you know what? Yeah, you're right. Ruth, it's great to talk to you. I I hope we get to meet each other in person one of these days because I'm a huge fan. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Who Am I This Time? is a Just Voices and Doolally production. Produced by Simon Lennigan. Music by Greg Hatwell. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. And presented by me, David Morrissey. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.